Good morning, good day, and good evening. I am, as always, your host, Brody Robertson. This is episode 138 of Tech of a Tea, and today's guest is EG. Welcome to the show. I guess I probably should have introduced you. You know what? How about you just introduce yourself since I skipped over it anyway? Uh, hi, I'm EG. You may know me. Probably not. Hopefully not. But I'm EG. <laughs> what a great introduction that is. Do you want to maybe say, I don't know, some of the stuff you do, anything, just nothing? I mean, I guess I do some Linux and tech stuff. Uh, I do some ASMR stuff. I do a lot of different things, I guess. It all, it all depends on if you know me, where you know me from. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that know me don't know that I do all this like different stuff that doesn't really like connect, but... Yeah, I have a lot of hobbies and interests, so. Well, yeah, when I first heard about your channel, uh, you were still, like, heavily involved in the, you know, the the typical Linux content, the, hey, we're going to look at this distro, we're going to look at that distro, hey, is this distro better Mm -hmm. than that distro? And, well, you stopped doing that as, like, your main thing now and have really sort of branched down to all of this other sort of content, but... I guess, I guess where we can start is because you are still using Linux. But like, sure. I, one thing I like to ask a lot of people I bring on this uh, this show is how they actually got involved in Linux because everyone sort of has their own sort of story about it. Like, some people they found a CD somewhere and started using it. Some people just you know downloaded a Ubuntu or whatever. And you've been you've been I, I don't know how long you've been using Linux, but you've been making. Uh, content online for quite a while now so i presume there's you know some story behind that yeah so the story my story with linux and it it kind of it went from linux to free and open source software mm-hmm. which are you know similar but also yeah, there's different. A connection there. there's there's more to linux than or there's more to free and open source software than just linux yeah, and vice mm-hmm. versa i suppose but my my journey into Linux and Fossland started with Windows licensing. I, w- I don't know what the year was. I don't remember how old I was. I was, I was installing, reinstalling Windows. I think mm-hmm. it was Windows 7 for the millionth time because I changed up my hardware, you know? Yep, yep. And um, uh, I tried to install and it said, no way, your license has been used too many times. Call Microsoft. Yeah, so I did. And they said, yeah, man, your, your license is no good. That's it. So I rolled back to Windows XP and I was like, I'm, I'm done with this. You know, like a, a reoccurring thing with me is I don't like being told what to do. Yep, yep. And I buy software and, you know, like, especially at the time. So it was like the early, mid 2000s, no, mm, probably mid, mm. late 2000s. Anyways, at the time it was less like now when, when you and I talk about software, we talk about licenses. When you purchase software, you're no longer purchasing the tangible product. You're purchasing a license. Yeah, to yeah. You're use not purchasing it. like a, a physical CD. You're purchasing this digital key that says you now have access to this. But that key can be revoked at any time. You know, depending on the terms of their contract they uh, create with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, at the time, that wasn't like as as prevalent or like mm-hmm. well known. So 
calling up Microsoft and them saying, yeah, that thing that you bought, it's no longer good because you've used, you've, you personally have used the license too many times. And from their perspective, the, the technology to determine who's using it, how it was used, all that, all that jazz just wasn't there. So their brilliant answer to that is say, oh, five times, 10 times, 15 times, and then that, that key is just no good. Yeah, Without yeah. making that clear to the customer, very, very strange uh, business decision on their part. But that, whoever, whatever executive at Microsoft said, this is how we're going to lock people into our product and get them to buy more keys, you just pushed me to the world of Linux. And now here we are many years later and, and I'm on the show with you. So that, that little event has led to this. It's kind of interesting to think about. What distro did you first find yourself on? Did you end up jumping around between different things or were you sort of just comfortable where you first wound up? So I started looking into Windows alternatives mm. and the first things that I found were FreeBSD and Linux, of course. And the Linux community turned me off big time because they were like totally anti-everything, mm -hmm. like anti-establishment. And uh, I wasn't as into that then as I mm -hmm. am now. Now I'm all about it. I'm like, hell yeah, you know, like screw, screw the, the big business and big companies. But at the time I was like, I just want to, I just want to play my games. Yeah, yeah. Never totally mind. Good. Never mind going into it, like, am I going to play my games on FreeBSD, especially at the time? Mm. No. But I didn't know that. I was totally naive, and I was just getting into it. So the first distro, I, distro that I ran was probably PCBSD way back mm -hmm. in the day. It's not even around anymore. It was cool. But, um, yeah, it did not do what I needed it to. So a lot of back and forth on Windows XP and trying out different distros and stuff. And... Um, the first Linux distro that I ever used used was probably Fedora, and I think that it was called Fedora Core at the time. Okay. Um, yeah. For anyone who may not recognize um, PCBSD, it also got rebranded to TrueOS at some point, so that continued being released until uh, the latest release I'm seeing is 2018. So I don't know if the project's dead no okay development ended in 2020 so 2018 was the last stable release and then i guess the project sort of just fell apart from there and you know no one continued it i think that what happened was there's just no money in the space sure and yeah the, the company that was doing it you know they, they want to make money and they can't run on investor funds forever so it was like well let's pivot to uh, more enterprise BSD, and that's where TrueOS came from, I think. I'm, like, basically speculating. Mm -hmm. But it, PC BSD wasn't terribly popular. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really well-branded. It looked rad. Like, you went to the website, had a good name, it had good mm -hmm. branding and everything, but the consumer market just wasn't there. Well, so. yeah, especially, when did you say, uh, what year did you say it was? Sorry, was it? Oh, I don't know, late 2000s or something? Oh, yeah, definitely, software definitely was not there at that point. Like No way, no. Especially, like installing it was hard. Mm, mm. What was the install process actually like? I've I've gone back and installed things like early versions of Ubuntu, but Ubuntu's always had like a nice. It's it wasn't always a graphical installation process. Originally, it was more of like the um, the Debian like installer where you have the the CLI interface, but it's always had a nice ish way to install it. What mm -hmm. was the installation process for PS uh, PC BSD back then? Dude, I don't remember. <laughs> nothing, I don't. nothing at all. I, I have like no memory of it at all. I know that <clears throat> I know that Fedora's installer mm. was 
I think it was what it, basically what it is today, where it's just like you want to install it, pick a drive, mm. go. But yeah, PCBSD's installer, I don't, I don't remember it very well, like at all. So, what made you want to go from the BSD side over to Linux side? Then, like, what was was it? Just software support? Was it developer support? What, what exactly brought you over to that side? So I went with PCBSD simply looking at the communities and seeing that the Linux community was like super toxic and yeah, the yeah. BSD community was like, hey, let's all just like, you know, proprietary software, all that stuff. I didn't get, like, I didn't understand mm-hmm. the, like the core differences between free and open source and proprietary software. Like I was like, eh, software is mm-hmm. software. And I mean, like it is, and mm-hmm. you know, you can, you can choose to have a deeper like relationship with it from that aspect. Like I only want free and open source software. But at the time, I didn't really care. So uh, the free BSD crowd, I was like, I like these people because they're like me and they don't care. They, mm-hmm. just, they just want software that works and they want it to be secure and fast. So um, that's, that's why I went with PCBSD. But I bailed on the BSD crowd because this, the, the compatibility and support, just yeah. like forget it. Like, I think even getting NVIDIA drivers, like you could do it, I think. NVIDIA supported BSD for a long time. But it was hard to get the drivers installed. And then there's no Steam support. Like you had to in- use Wine mm-hmm. to install Steam, and it was just this whole thing. And the the workflow was just better on Linux, so that's what I gravitated to. I just wanted something that worked. Is really what it comes down to. I can't and speak for how well they function, but there are still like modern drivers for the FreeBSD side uh, from mm-hmm. NVIDIA. I. I, I yeah, as I, said, I don't know if they're any good or how. Like the Nvidia drivers on the Linux side are already sort of like, you know, questionable depending on what you're trying to be doing. Um, so as you you came over the that the Linux side because of the software support, when did the I guess that Linux sort of I get how I, I that Linux ideology that care about free software that care about you know the freedoms you have the whether something is proprietary you know your data importance whatever you want to however you want to phrase it when did that sort of come into it or how did that come into it i guess i don't have like a good single story mm-hmm. for that like you think i would but i don't i think that it i think that my love and appreciation for free and open source software built over time mm. and i'm i'm the kind of person where i have really strong core beliefs and values and those come from others questioning my beliefs my belief system so i worked at a company for quite i worked at this particular company for quite a while Mm -hmm. and we were all windows all the time and it was like a total windows.net shop and i was coming in and i knew i ran linux at home i knew all this stuff but i I may also knew windows just fine well not like i was in qa so i didn't need to know yeah, Windows yeah. super well. I just needed to like test stuff, you know? So um, I just kind of walked around with my Linux knowledge, it, like flexing it when I could, because like all of these developers seemed so ignorant to me that like mm-hmm. the idea of opening a terminal, like o- opening a command line or whatever the hell Windows called it at the time, uh, that like scared them. Like that was so Cro-Magnon to do that. And I'm over here like, like doing all this crazy magic. And they're like, what is happening? And it's funny because some of the QA test tools had to be run through 
uh, like the terminal, like mm -hmm. a Selenium web driver and stuff. You just had to run it through. Uh, later, it was like PowerShell. Mm -hmm. But um, these were like de like app developers that could not write code without Visual Studio. And my previous gig, like that's everybody was in their like SQL developers. So like if you wrote code, you had this big, huge IDE. Yep. And it wasn't just a place to write code. It was a place to write it, build it, ship it, distribute yep. it. And you were locked into that uh, Microsoft Visual Studio lifecycle. And it's like these people didn't realize how bad that was. Mm -hmm. and, and like I started, to, I started to see it, like seeing these really intelligent developers just totally stuck because they didn't have the tools. Like they, they were incredibly smart developers, but they couldn't do anything without their tools. Mm -hmm. Like that just, I don't know, that, that was probably my first like, this is weird. Why would you want a company telling you how you can use your like intelligence? I don't mm -hmm. know. That seems weird to me. So um, to rewind back to, to that, that company where I was doing QA, I was on a project where we needed to do some mobile testing. We were uh, writing an app for uh, mobile devices and we needed to do a little testing. So um, I looked at the solutions in C Sharp and like .NET land and they all sucked. And it was, it's not that they sucked, like they did suck, but it was really early and yep. Microsoft and I think it was Xamarin or the company that handled Mono, they hadn't been acquired by Microsoft. It was like right before they were acquired, yep, yep, yep. but, but their, feel, their, their, like, their tooling wasn't there. So I found another, another tool based on Ruby called uh, Calabash Android. And I think that that was later acquired by the Xamarin people, but it was based in, it used like Cucumber and behavior-driven behavior driven testing or something. It, it was this crazy framework. It was really cool at the time. But now I'm totally not into it. Pretty rad. Uh, but this is a long story to say that the test harness and framework that I built mm -hmm. had a CLI entry point. So there wasn't a GUI that you couldn't yeah. use. I mean, you could use Visual Studio, but it was like, all right, you just open a terminal and run ruby and then the the script and i sat like i had to demo this and show my my team of like four people how to do it and there was this one guy that was just like no i will not do that i'm like why though but like why well, i don't understand like open a terminal type in ruby and pass a file in. he's like we need an ide like this does does not compute for these developers wait so uh I, I presume that these developers, when they're interacting with Git or whatever, probably Git, whatever visuals, source, visual safe. Like what? What I was gonna say is, I are they using some sort of like GUI to interact with it? Because most Every, people yeah. at least like, even if they do nothing else in the terminal, at least most developers at least know how to use Git in the terminal. To be totally fair, the way that Visual Studio integrates with source control is awesome. So okay, like yeah, I, okay. I I get I get that I totally understand that. So but these these just they just never touched I get, the yeah, command I, line ever. It's been a while since I used Visual Studio. I completely forgot about like how for okay, for all the things that I don't like that Microsoft does, Visual Studio is a really it is a really uh, I don't know if I want to say well built because a lot of things I don't like about Visual Studio, but it is <laughs> an environment where you can it's sort of like the Apple ecosystem where you can be in a situation where you never leave it. Like you can do yeah. everything you need to do without interacting with anything else. And yeah, I guess I yeah, just yeah. completely forgot about the Git stuff because when I was using Visual Studio, I did the Git stuff from the terminal just because I found that like easier to do. Sure. But... No, yeah, that makes sense. If it's sense. your workflow. Yeah, yeah. 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 
So that was that was like another another thing. Like you guys are literally vendor locked. Like you've been brainwashed mm. to love your vendor and be like, I can't live without Microsoft and Visual Studio. And I'm like, Jesus, I I don't know what to say. So uh, fast forward even further at that gig, and um, you know, like my I was able to flex more of my my Linux chops. I mean, it came in handy, you know, like you, it, mm. especially moving forward, like you can't avoid Linux. Like if you don't know some Linux stuff, at least you're able to like speak to it mm. or, or you don't want to like super deep dive into it. But like, say you're in a meeting and Linux comes up, like have enough to be able, like know enough about it to be able to talk about it, talk mm. about its benefits, you know, but I was always that dude in the room. So, um, my manager at the time, uh, he wasn't a big fan of the GPL and the aggressive free and open source licensing. And uh, so him and I like kind of went back and forth about it in, in, in a very friendly sort of way. You know, like I said, I like it when people challenge my, my beliefs and yeah, yeah. Um, that helps me kind of like become who I am, I guess. And, and that did, you know, I was like, well, I, I thought that I was all about the GPL and the way that it like worms its way into software. But uh, like, I understand the arguments against it and, mm -hmm. I think GNU Readline is a library that was actually written with the intent for other libraries to use it. And mm -hmm. if they use it, they have to become GPL. So that's like the viral licensing that yeah. he really hated. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people... Like, I, I totally get the, like, the perspective of the like hardcore everything has to be free software situation like, like anyone who has that sort of mentality of software and if you're talking about software that is never going to be used in a commercial context like i i get it like if you're like writing a random a random terminal a random tool that you need to be using yourself you don't, you don't really care if anyone uses it like outside of you i get like just throwing that out to the world as uh as a bit of GPL software, but I think when it comes to GPL, there's a lot of people who are, like, very anti-other licenses. Like, there's every so often I'll get someone in my comment section who will go on this big rant about the MIT license, how they refuse hmm. to use anything that's using MIT, because if they use this project using MIT, then someone can go and fork the project, and they can make it proprietary, which is all, like, valid things. Sure. But yeah. it doesn't, like, the fact that it's MIT doesn't affect their usage of that application. All that affects is the existence of these forks. And mm -hmm. if, like, you know, something goes down that direction, a lot of the developer support goes down that fork, like, sure, that's a, c a concern at that point. But the fact that it's using MIT by itself doesn't negate the benefit of the, the software as is, like, one recent example of this is I was talking about the um, Pop OS's new environment they're building, which is uh, based on Smithy, which is uh, licensed in MIT. And mm -hmm. this is where that discussion came from, where they're worried that, you know, someone's going to go and fork Smithy and it's going to take it proprietary and all of that. But mm. I, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect at all the main Smithy project. Like, I... Mm. I I I, th I hope what I'm saying here makes any level of sense. I I just think there is there is a place to be concerned about the licenses when there is a potential for there to be a corporate interest in the project. But I mm -hmm. think some people take it a little bit 
maybe a little bit too seriously when it's just some like throwaway project sometimes i've sort of jumped around a bit too much there i i just realized that as i was saying some stuff there but um it's all good yeah that that tends to happen <laughs> um no no it's it's good uh, if i may interject i'm thinking when you're ahead. talking about if, when you're talking about mit and people being concerned about um other parties and other interests doing doing other things with it basically mm. um it reminded me of mongodb and uh the elastic search elk stuff so mm. uh, take mongodb is probably a, a really good example the elk the what's going on with the elk stack and elastic search is maybe a little more nuanced but with mongodb it's a it, it's an open source or was an open source i mean it yep. still is but People are like, eh, the licensing is weird. But it's an open, it's a really, really powerful open source project and database. Like it's super rad. Mm, mm. And it's a company that is is building it. You know, they're they're paying developers lots of money to make this. And uh, at that company where I was talking about QA, we actually had a Mongo DB uh, consultant come in and train us up on it. And I mean, it was fine. But I like, you know, somebody paid, like, I guess we paid for that dude to come out. But still, mm. like, he was an employee of Mongo and presumably. But, anyways, what I'm saying is that these companies are putting money into these projects that are permissively licensed and people mm -hmm. can just take them and do whatever they want. So eventually, the suits and executives are like, hey, we need to figure out how to lock this down because they from from way up above they look down and they see all these little independent people forking their software and making it their own and they're like whoa, whoa, whoa that you know however they rationalize or justify it like those that's money going out the door you know whatever so they changed the licensing to make it less permissive and people are like it's no longer open source it's just not and it was like this big deal but i i think it's an interesting question when companies start with an open source offering mm. and then they want to figure out how to make it profitable without screwing with licensing. I think, I think an, an example, uh, a, perhaps a successful example that I honestly don't know a ton about is GitLab and GitLab mm. is a tool that I use and I manage every single day. And it's, it's really, really good. Like for an open source project, it is, I mean, any project, even if it's closed source, it could be crap, but GitLab is open source, and I use the open source version. They have an enterprise offering too, but I use the open source version. I manage it, and it's really, really good. Developers are super professional. They have an awesome release cycle, tons of communication, and it's like this is an open source project, fully open source, and it's awesome. Mm. I can't speak to the financials of the project. I mean, maybe they're like way in the red. They just don't want to talk about it. That would be a shame. But like there are success stories where something is fully open source, able to be used and forked by the community, and it's still good. I think one place, how is GitLab licensed? Is that MIT, BSD, GPO? What are, we, what are we looking at here? It's one of those, I believe it's one of those three. Um, yeah, that's, that's one maybe you should look up. GitLab... <laughs> Licensed. Watch, it's like not open source at all. No, it's open source, but they have enterprise <laughs> offerings that uh, no, no. behind paywall sort of thing. Yeah, I don't want to see their premium version. Show me the GitLab, the Git, uh, GitLab, GitLab repo. GitLab. If I just look up GitLab, GitLab, let's see if that shows up. It does. Yeah. Perfect. Sure. Oh, is that What's the GitLab that website? No, I think this is wait. I think this is the repo. Uh, where is their license? I don't use GitLab a lot. I don't know what the license is. License. Here we go. Let's see. What does it say? Yeah, provide, uh, MIT. There it is. 
Boom, uh, MIT. So MIT Expat. I'm not sure what the distinction with that license is, but it is a variation of the MIT license. Um, I think the distinction can be made here with soft software that's intended to be used by used by many people as opposed to used by one party. When it's something like GitLab, I can understand the concern with it being a very permissible license like this, because there could come a situation where, say, uh, you know, Microsoft may be a bad example because they already have GitHub, but let's say Amazon, for example, said they wanted to do source control, and then they forked GitLab, and then their version of GitLab became the main version. Then you could expect a lot of that developer support to move over to that version, and that could eventually go proprietary at some point. I think the situation is very different with something like Smithy, where that project was sort of like, it existed as a Wayland backend, but nobody was really using it. Mm. Where, like, System76 came along and then actually gave it a purpose. It being a permissible license in this case doesn't really change the fact that, like, nobody was using it beforehand. And it... Mm. They've sort of like given it some sort of life. Like they could take proprietary at some point. That's entirely possible, but I don't think it's it's moving that that work from one location to to another, which is the concern I, I see a lot of people having when it is hmm. something permissible. Hmm. I think that I, I think that's a good point, and I think that that's more of an issue with smaller projects. Hmm. Um, going back to the GitLab thing, and um, it may or may not relate to the Smithy thing, but let's say, for example, Amazon wanted to get into source control, right? Like that'd be weird, but they actually, to be it honest, Amazon actually has AWS has source control. They have their own setup, so they've already done it. But for this, sure, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For this example, let's say that Amazon, that we all know and love, uh, they want to get into source control, and they. They forked GitLab and made um, Amazon Lab or some, you know, what we'll call it, whatever. So you could argue that that's a bad thing because now you've split the audience, you've split the engineering effort and everything. But you could look at it from another perspective in that Amazon, uh, again, we're using Amazon as a company, like an example, it's huge. So mm -hmm. from that perspective, oh, Amazon just released their new offering, but now everybody that is interested and tuned into Amazon is aware of their offering. And that offering is a fork of another project. So mm. like eventually people will be funneled like, and then is, is more choice a bad thing? Like you have GitLab and let's say somebody gets burned by GitLab and they can go to an alternate version, a fork of GitLab that Amazon is offering. So it's just extra choice, right? I think that, that, that is a fair point, but I, it also becomes a, a concern with, when it becomes so distant from that original project, like uh, one good example of this is uh, Mastodon. So Mastodon, I, you've got your Mastodon account. Um, there is Gab and Truth Social, which both are forks of Mastodon, which make, Gab does it a little bit, but Truth Social made no mention of the fact, like this was a big controversy when like the beta happened, that that was a fork of Mastodon. Mm-hmm. That being a fork, it being so separate from it that they don't really. There's no. There's no way to dive. There's no way to divert those people from one project to the other when it makes no indication of it being a fork of that original project. 
Yeah, I would say that there's no synergy mm. between mm. the projects, right? Like there's there's feedback and they're playing off one another. But if they're so detached and distant, like if if Amazon did do this weird thing and and fork uh, GitLab and there's no mention, it's completely different. Then yeah, I guess people wouldn't wouldn't really know about one another. But um, maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part. <laughs> maybe, but like, <laughs> no, I. I think licensing is a very, it's a very important discussion that, it, it's weird. I will make videos on licensing that I feel like are pretty interesting videos, and judging by, you know, people having their discussions in the comment sections, like, in videos that aren't related to that one, it seems like licensing is this topic that a lot of people in the, the FOSS space are really interested in, and maybe that was the case, like, a couple of years ago, but I think we're actually sort of getting into this this space where Linux is kind of branching out of just the FOSS people, especially now that we have, you know, the Steam Deck is obviously... Yeah. Are you still there? Discord just froze for a moment. Um, like, you've mm-hmm. got the Steam Deck now where now you've got a lot more of the Linux gamers and you had Proton yeah. for a thing, like, quite a while now. So mm-hmm. using Linux isn't just a thing that only the FOSS people are doing now, and I guess the proportion of people that are using Linux that actually care about the license and about how things are licensed, I don't think the, like, raw number is going down, but the the overall, it, it looks like a lot less because of that that growth that Linux has been having. Yeah, definitely. That's that's actually a really cool observation. I see on Reddit all these people, like presumably kids mm. that are getting into the Steam Deck, they're getting into Linux, and they're like, whoa, you just pass in these parameters and all the performance changes and stuff. Like, you know, like, you know what's funny is back in XP and mm. Vista and 7, you could do that too. Like, that's how Windows, like, you pass in all these crazy parameters and get, get games and stuff to behave different. And mm. now with Windows 10 and 11, it's just like, this is how it runs, and there's really not much you can do to t- fine-tune it or whatever. And then you go over to Linux, and there there is definitely a type of techie, tinkery person that mm. likes that. Like, for a long time, I personally, like, denied the fact that I like it when my system breaks. Like, isn't, isn't that crazy? Like, but you know what I'm talking about, no, right? I know, like I know exactly something, something screws up and I'm like, all right, I'm rolling up my sleeves and we're going to get to the bottom of it. And what's cool about it is a lot of times after fighting with that challenge, I'm like, I'm smarter and I'm better equipped to deal with issues like that. Like for me personally, I like that. Mm-hmm. And I can see how not everybody is like that, but I like it. No, I use Arch, so like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that that's your jam, exactly. Well, I've sort of, I've I've sort of turned my system breaking into a job, so like there is that as well. Uh-huh. But even just uh-huh. when I was like first starting to use Linux, I you know I, I did enjoy it when something, as long as I didn't have like an assignment due or something at the time. But when I wasn't super busy with other things, if something went wrong, like that's. You know, that's an opportunity to to learn something new about your system. Like, hey, I didn't understand the way that GPG keys worked, for example, and my my um my keys had expired in my uh, package manager. So now I have to sure. go update that list, and because I'm going to update it, I might as well like look into why that's a thing that needs to be updated. Why 
why this is a thing that we have connected to our packages or sure. uh, a recent issue with um with grub where there was like oh. this broken version of grub shift and oh yeah yeah you, you got burned by that too i uh i skipped Man. the uh affected version so i didn't i didn't have any like bootloader issues with it but oh um yeah it like that's an opportunity to like look into why this is the case. Maybe not look into it as much as you know I might do for a video where I'm going to read some mailing lists for three hours, but <laughs> it's still an opportunity to look into sort of why this happened and why the bootloader functions in this fashion. Maybe even sure. look at what other bootloaders might be available. Like, hey, is this a chance to try out System Deboot or Refined, or maybe sure. even go like, uh, just you know, straight UEFI boot and just skip the bootloader altogether. Yeah, yeah, totally. My, uh, I'm, I have, I've uh, graduated from QA and software. Uh, I mean, I guess it is uh, software engineering. I'm like a systems engineer, basically. Mm. Like some people would call it DevOps. I don't like the term DevOps very much. I'm just a operations dude. But when something breaks and screws up like that, my thought is like, okay, this will never happen again. Mm. I am going to find a way to script this so this never breaks mm. or screws up again. So that's I, I wouldn't have that drive had I not used Linux and had my system break. And it's, it's don't get me wrong, like it's painful. You know, like I remember one time I wanted to show a friend something. I was running OpenSUSE a long time ago and I did an update and every the display drivers were gone, like nothing worked. And like, that's really frustrating and it was embarrassing, but like, damn it, it was character building and I'm a better person because that happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what I tell myself anyway. Well, you gotta convince yourself somehow the Linux problems are like good for you. Can't you? Yeah. We can't just sit <laughs> around just complaining everything's bad all the time. We gotta, gotta like convince other people outside of Linux that you know it's not, it's not all bad. You know, the grass is actually greener on the other side. Come over here, come experiment yeah. with it, see what it's like. No, for real. And I think that that's that's actually that could segue to another topic. Mm. And, and that is for a, for a while there was I don't see it nearly as much today. But for a while, there was this big push to get people like, we got to get everybody on Linux. Get your mom on Linux. Get your dad on Get grandma on yeah. Linux. Like, dude, hold on here. And this is like, it's 2022 now. I still wouldn't do that. Like, there are distros, I'd say, endless OS, you know, very immutable distros that are solid, that won't break and screw up. But by and large, I would not recommend Linux to just like everybody. Like, that's that. That is like GPLE. Like I, I talked a little bit about GNU Readline, and mm. um, I, I get it. You know, like in the '80s and '90s when GNU and free software was like kind of like it was picking up, and people were learning mm. about it. The idea that like we could force free software on people and have it—it's a very militant way of looking at it. Mm. And I mean, it's a way, but I don't think it's scaled, and it turned a lot of people off because like people people have agency they don't want to be forced into doing something especially when their like career is on the line like let's say you're a developer and you're like oh GNU readline it'll do exactly what i need to do include it and now suddenly it's like oh we just screwed our entire code base up like why i don't know why anybody thought that that was going to be like a good way of getting people not interested in free and open source software mm -hmm. into it like oh i guess i have to what no that doesn't work that way but, well, yeah, um, 
what happens then is you end up getting things like, um, you know, you have the GNU uh, core utils, and now you have BusyBox. Like, sure. you know, just because you have this thing right now, if it's not going to fit the use case that someone has, you know, someone's going to build something that, you know, is going to mm-hmm. going to work for that. Like, a uh, more modern example of that is the work that is being done with Asahi Linux, where people are taking the M1 Max and, like, straight-up reverse-engineering drivers for them. Like, Lena is doing incredible work on this. Everybody else is doing incredible work on this. And it's taking these devices that Apple, you know, wants nothing to do with getting Linux working. Like, they're not actively going out of the way to stop it, but they're not going to help you. And so the same thing is true here with, um, with what GNU's done, where... They want you to be using this in a certain way, but you know, for the corporate use cases, that's not going to be happening. And as much as it's it's fun to hate on the corporations, and in a lot of cases, you know, many of them deserve it. They're going to exist, and they're going to find ways around the limitations that you build in to the software that you you know are trying to propagate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think that the GPL and that flavor of very aggressive open source software licensing has its place, mm. and I'm really happy that it exists. I think that its its origins were a little misguided. Like I said, very militant, very like you will go open source. Like what? Well, yeah, just it w- it was a way to do it. Uh, I think that we've moved past that. But I think. The GPL, like I use it in some of my software, I look at the GPL license as a way to make a statement mm-hmm. or create something for the public benefit. Mm. Um, one one project that I'm well aware, I don't use it, but I used to, and I'm I'm familiar with it, and it's GPL. Uh, sorry, you Discord cut out when you said whatever you just said. Oh, Linux Game Server Manager. Ah. Yeah, yeah, so that's GPL, I think. I'm pretty sure it's GPL. But the idea is that if you make a really awesome project that's that's really influential and it could be it could be used, it could be monetized, but you don't want it to be, mm. like it's a personal statement. And I'm not trying to attribute that to any project. I, I mentioned Linux Game Server Manager, but I'm not trying to attribute these thoughts to it. It's, it's, but that, it's MIT, by the way. Is it MIT? Yeah, it's yeah, a bad well, example. That's, that's fine, yeah. But uh, when I think of the GPL in my in my software, not that I have like big projects or anything, but is this something that somebody could take and commercialize? Mm. And if so, then I want to consider like, am I okay with that? And like, I am. But if it's a very personal project that I put a lot of work into, maybe I'm not, and I want to put the GPL on there to to stop. I mean, you could look at it almost like. Um, a way to copyright, like prevent big, mean, aggressive companies from stealing your code and Mm -hmm. putting it in their code base without giving you any credit, because MIT doesn't require that, right? I mean, it says like you have to move the license all around, but if you're using MIT code that you've then closed and put in your code base or just like copy and pasted, nobody's going to know you did it. Yeah. So from from that regard... Um, if if you're working on a personal project or something that's very influential using the GPL, Linux kernel is a great example, right? I mean, I, actually, I should use that one because the Linux kernel is GPL, BSD is BSD. 
And because the Linux kernel is GPL, everything has to stay in the open. And sometimes Linux is used as an example of like, look, it can work. But the thing about the Linux kernel is it has huge critical mass. It's gigantic, right? And it's mm -hmm. also like incredibly valuable, like the value of the kernel, everybody can use it, does it all this stuff. If you just made a, a little project that's GPL, I mean, are people going to use it? Do people know about it? You know, you have to consider your licensing based on what you're doing, who your audience is. And I guess that goes back to the original discussion around licensing. Like, it's just, it's a thing, but mm -hmm. it's something that developers and people have to consider. Well, the important thing about Linux as well is you're not usually integrating Linux into another piece of software. You're running software on top of Linux. So it being, it being GPLv2 doesn't really get in the way of most corporate use cases. Now, there are certain cases where... It might where you are trying to run very specific software, but also it being V2, like the TiVo situation happened. That's that's one of the things that mm. caused the creation of GPL V3, where it has more limitations in the way the software can be used to stop that being done. But Linus has always sort of been... You can go back and listen to the conversations had back in like 2008. I think... I want to say it's 2008. Where he basically wants the software to be propagated but doesn't like the idea of MIT necessarily because he wants the changes to be brought back to the project even if Absolutely. the context they're going to be used in like in TiVo for example like TiVo is running on this very specific hardware the patches that TiVo had made weren't going to be useful to the core Linux project mm. but by having them shared back someone else can make use of those patches and maybe run a version of the kernel on that TiVo devices, which is what, you know, people have done over the years um, until the modern devices where they're a bit more locked down. Um, but I, I think there's, there's a lot of area for nuance here where, you know, it's... GPL doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's always going to be bad for corporate use and MIT is always going to be good for corporate use. Depending on what that software is doing and where it's sitting in the software stack, it is going to have slightly different implications. Yeah, totally. Um, I was going to say something. <laughs> what was I going to say? Um, some was it about licensing? Might have been. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I had one of those moments a little bit ago. It, it, it ten look. I no matter gone. no matter when I record this, it can be like middle of the day. It can be three in the morning. This is gonna happen at some point in the show where I'm just gonna completely lose my train of thought and derail the entire conversation. But you know, when you speak for forty minutes, you know something's something <laughs> has to go wrong at some point. Yeah, yeah. No, I I hear you. I get it. So why don't we just um I guess segue into your content creation. We didn't get into that uh, earlier. Oh god. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do it. Let's talk about EG content creation and stuff. <laughs> That's always a, a, a good response well, whenever like, I mention that. I mean, hey, like I'm just I'm still like I've been on YouTube for since before two thousand uh 
2014. Mm. I was going to say 2008. I don't know why that that year jumped out at me. Have I been there? No. It's, my, the channel was made in 2014. I was doing some stuff on YouTube before then, mm. but that's all gone. But yeah, to me, I'm just like, I'm just a dude. Like, I don't know. Just, I just, just sort of do stuff. Yeah. I, I do. I do what brings me joy. Mm. Well, how about we start with like, why did you want to make like what what got you interested in making content anyway like you know a lot of people they might just make one or two videos and then mm -hmm. you know throw it away but you've sort of been doing it at a you know remotely consistent pace for many a years now yeah uh i don't know <laughs> no like i mean i could just like you know bookend it like that but uh i mean the short answer is i don't know i just do it man but the longer answer is like if I really think about it, uh, my dad when I was like younger and even now he makes videos all the time. He just like gets out his camera mm -hmm. and he sends like he's a mad scientist and he's doing all this crazy stuff and he sends me videos of it. And I'm like, hey, you know, there's YouTube, and he's like, yeah. And then that's the extent of it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. I don't, I don't know. But I guess I have that that bug to want to create content. Mm. I, I'm like. I like to create stuff and I mean, for my, like my love of free and open source software, like what's, what's the greatest joy about writing software. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is going to sound so like hippie-ish, but I'm here for it. I love to share it, man. I want to write something cool and I want to share it around because like, here's the thing. I would not be a developer. I would not be me today mm -hmm. if I hadn't had open source code and open source developers to work with. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so the idea that I can give that back and I can open my code and, and make coding videos and get people excited about it. Like, wow. Why would I not do that, you know? Mm. Problem is that I'm not very good at it, so I don't do it very often. What, the, the coding or the, the, the videos? And, and not, none of it, really. Like, I, I, like I look at... I, it pains me when my older videos pop up in the feeds of my other channels. I'm like, dude, get that out. I don't, like, I don't watch my older videos. I watch my newer stuff, mm -hmm. but my older stuff where I was just recording and throwing it up there? Yeah. I, it, no. I, I wish that those would go away. And sometimes I, like in the past especially, I've made videos private and stuff, but I've realized that I'm not the only, like, I, it's not, I'm not in a silo. Like there are other people out there, much, much to my like dismay, there are people that watch and enjoy my content. I'm so upset that people enjoy my content. Now I have, I have a weird relationship with, with my channel and my content and like I'm becoming more comfortable with it. I'm mm -hmm. really trying to. Like I'm really trying to be more comfortable with the idea that people know of EG and people watch my stuff and people enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So um, that I I've just not watched my older stuff because if I do, I have this tendency to want to be like private and I'll yeah. never watch that again. So yeah. On my current, I've had many a chat. I I've had channels where I've made videos like. Back in like 2000 and I don't know, when did YouTube come out? Like just after that. I've told the story <laughs> of how I discovered YouTube uh, many times, yeah. but the the general gist of it is when I moved back from Queensland to South Australia, which is the state I'm living in now, uh, my cousin who at the time, I think he still is a, a software engineer, 
and he mm-hmm. told me about this this website that at first I didn't really know what a website was because I didn't have an internet connection before that. I lived in the middle of nowhere Queensland. Uh, wow. Went to a really rural school, like sixty students, very tiny place. Uh, so when I came back to South Australia, uh, got my first internet connection, like first home internet connection. And he told me about this this website that had a bunch of videos on it, and it sort of like had just come out in like the past six or so months. And that website was YouTube. Um, sure. And I then made videos, you know, probably a year or so after that and you know throwaway channels here and there some point i'll mention some of them at some point because there are videos still up on those <laughs> channels uh but You're not associated with you though uh you know it, we'll, <laughs> we'll just ignore those the- I, I mean hey man i got i got them too mm. i got i got channels with just like crap out there i'm like Yo. Eh. When I was so young, though, that you'd have a, you'd be really hard pressed to tie it to me without actually knowing that it's me. But <laughs> the where I was going with that is every time, like this happens, sort of in a rolling in a rolling way. I always feel like the last six months of my content is <laughs> you know remotely good, and anything okay. before that is garbage don't watch it oh i i feel you man and i i get comments on like videos back from like 2020 i'm like like 2019 i think it was videos 20 whatever from like those earlier videos and i'm like why are you watching this and some of them will be like hey this is a great video like no it's not what are you talking about that's not true at all like i'll i'll go back and look at it and I think the problem when when you go back to one of your old videos, you sort of remember the the mental state you're in when you made that. So there was a period when I was like I was like really depressed when I made these videos. I'm like sure. no, no, these are bad. Like, do you yeah. do you hear the way I'm speaking? I sound like I don't want to be here. Everything I'm saying is like terribly researched and it's all nonsense. <laughs> and I'm going on these long winded tangent i'll go on long-winded tangents mm. here but like i don't plan anything here but I, like i go on these long-winded tangents where i'd say nothing at all how are you enjoying what i'm saying here how are you getting anything of value out of this i don't know people people just want to people just want to watch stuff mm. yeah I, I i hear you man i totally totally do i, I think if you're not if you anyone who does like their old content like there's okay, there's a you can appreciate the the path that you've come through, but I think anyone who like genuinely thinks their old content is good, they've sort of stopped growing. Yeah, that that's a good point. That is a really good point. Yeah. Like it's I don't think it's just with with that. Like you play guitar. I'm sure if you go listen, yeah. how long are you playing guitar now? A long since twenty years, something if, long, long time. If you have any early recordings and you were to go listen to some of them, I'm sure. I, you- honestly, I'd, I'd love them. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a, I, yeah, I, I, there was a, there was a time long ago uh, when I was really into like recording and producing. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I have a very weird relationship with music and mm. I'm, I'm really trying to get back into it. Like get into my, 
my emotional connection with my musical instruments and stuff. Like, you know, there's a lot to it. And on my other channel, that's why I've been kind of, that's actually why I've been recording, mm -hmm. not just my tunes, because I've got it on SoundCloud and stuff too. Yeah. But I, I want to see what it looks like to play that song and mm. like not just me and my movement and performance, but also like the, the chord shapes and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But um, there was a time when I was recording stuff and uh, I had it all on Google Music mm. back in the day, like actual Google Music. People probably don't even remember it. But uh, I didn't publish, by the way. I just uploaded it there. It was, it yeah. was like a, it was a thing. I don't even know how to describe it. But uh, when I deleted an old Google account, it took all that with it. So I lost all of my old recordings. And I remember one song that I wrote on there that like there was like a little solo that I played and I don't remember how I played it. So I'm channeling that and I'm like, okay, it's, it's not enough that I record the audio. I want to see myself do it. That way I can look at my hands. I yeah. really love watching live performance. I, I love going to concerts and stuff, but I love watching concerts on YouTube and stuff. And I'm just like, like it, it just like entranced by the guitarists and everybody's doing all this crazy stuff. And I'm so into it. So that's why I was like, well, wait, if I do this and I forget how to play something, which I do all the time, mm -hmm. I can just go back to the video and be like, oh, yeah, that's how to do it. So well, as I was mentioning, I, I think I've, I've mentioned a couple of times in this podcast, I started learning guitar, uh, nice. doing that for about seven days now. So, Looks you know, good. you've got a, got a good a bit more, a bit more time to catch up to your experience. Um, <laughs> but now, like there is. There is so much, like, right now I'm going through a series by um, a guy called Marty Schwartz. He's got this incredible series on YouTube going over, like, he did, like he's got these videos going over, like, one or two chords every video. He'll be like, hey, he, I think he started with E minor and then was like, hey, hmm. here's um, A and here's uh, G. And now, like, here's, I think the last one I did was, like, C and then D. Yeah. Um, this is an incredibly good series that go over like these basic chord shapes in a really, a really um fun way. Because as he's going through them, he'll like demonstrate songs that you can play with them as well. Like he'll be like, "Hey, you can play uh Sweet Home Alabama with this set of chords. You can play uh Knocking on Heaven's Door with this set of chords." And it's Ooh. a really it, honestly, I'm having a lot of fun with it. As I said, only doing it for seven days. Maybe I'll get bored of it after a couple of months. But this is a great way to to learn. Like, this is a great way to get myself interested in it. What sure. was your experience? You know, I'm I'm sure the resources were much less when you started. What What was your initial experience actually learning to oh, play? Man. Learning to play guitar, dude, my, my guitar and music journey has been rough. <laughs> so um, my mom really didn't want me to get into rock music. Mm. I played piano. Uh, my folks put me into piano and uh, I didn't get anything out of it. Like I had, I had and have a lot of issues with anxiety and performance anxiety. So I, I wasn't able to get around that when I was younger. Like that's all I could focus on. And uh, I never learned to read sheet music. So I just watched what the instructor was doing with her hands. And I just did that. 
Yeah. And I mean, that's, that sounds cool. I've heard other people say that, but it, it doesn't get you very far. Mm. So I, I didn't, I didn't get very far and I did like one, maybe two performances. I like, I stopped doing it. Well, the piano has but, a lot of keys. That's like a lot of things. That's a lot of places to remember. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, honestly, the piano is really hard. I mean, there's people that can play it beautifully, but mm. I like, to be fair, I, I would love to get a synth and I would love to learn to play the yeah. keys, but, um, I'll probably do that someday. But when I was 14, maybe 15, uh, I finally got a guitar and uh, my mom let me get a guitar and I got it and I, I was really into it. And I was like, I wanted to play like Van Halen. That's mm. what I wanted to play. So that's what I started playing. And in retrospect, I did pretty damn good for starting. Like I thought I was, I was terrible. Like everything was so hard. It was really hard to get my fingers to behave. It still is actually. But um, like I, I was playing Ain't Talking About Love pretty early and like it sounded okay. I practiced that intro riff over and over and over and over again until I could play it with my eyes closed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, I never thought I was good. Um, I had a friend that uh, got a guitar at about the same time and I was like, dude, we could play together. This will be great. He, w he also had an electric guitar, so it was mm. just like two electric guitars, which is a little weird. And I wasn't into singing at the time. But uh, we were playing, and he didn't practice as much as I did, so I, I got ahead of him, and he just stopped playing. He's like, you're just better than me, and I don't want to play. I'm like, well, that's not how this is supposed to work. Like, it doesn't... It was very, very uh, discouraging. So I put the guitar up for a while, um, and then I, I got back into it, but my uh, girlfriend at the time did not like it, so I put it away. And I got back into it when I was living on my own, mm -hmm. um, and I, I it, so it's just been like this up and down sort of thing. And uh, I've always had trouble with chords and chord progressions and stuff. And at some point, I just decided to do away with these funky uh, shapes and just tune my guitar to the key that I want to play in. Mm. So if you, if you see me playing and I'm just moving my hand up and down and not really doing crazy stuff, I'm using one finger because I have my guitar tuned to open D. So mm. I just move it to different places to play different major chords, and then you can augment it. But it makes rhythmic playing really, really easy, and that's just my style. I, 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 I think the the concern that someone, you know, you can make the argument like, oh, you're not, you're not doing, you're not doing it properly. But I think at the end of the day, good. At the end of the day, if you're having fun with it, I think that's sure. that's way more important. Like. Your friend that dropped it, like, you know, he stopped playing the guitar. Like, you're playing the yeah. guitar. It doesn't matter that you're playing in this certain way. Like, you're doing it. Yeah, I don't know. People, people are strange. I mean, when you want to, when you want to be good and you're not, and somebody else is good and you want to be, that can be really painful, you know. So, like, I get it. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw other guitarists and they were awesome, and then I'm coming in there. I can't. I barely make a G shape, and I'm just like, no, I'm done. But. um yeah, you know, like another thing, when, when I had my guitar tuned weirdly, people mm. would be like, that's not how you're supposed to play. And like, you know, at the time, I'd be like, yeah, it's because I suck and I'm making the guitar work for me. But now that I'm like older and wiser, I'm like, yeah, I suck. And I'm making <laughs> the instrument work for me in a way that doesn't suck. Mm. So, But I mean, like, you know, if you think about it, 
it it's it's your instrument it's your tool who who is telling you that it has to be in standard tuning mm -hmm. you know oh well open you know drop d is lame you know open it's like i don't care like i i'm up here jamming and rocking and you're over there telling me how bad i suck you're mm -hmm. not making music i am so just like it's your tool make it work for you mm -hmm. yeah absolutely like there was a um there was a video I, I saw, I don't know, a week or so ago, where someone stringed their bass uh, like a guitar, just for the meme of it. Yeah. And, uh, what like, did it sound like? Like, I'm curious. It sounded pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounded... I mean, if you listen, like, there's bands like White Stripes. There's all sorts of experimental bands. You're doing all sorts of, like, Sonic Youth was, was the early one that was really influential. But, like, they're doing all sorts of weird, mm. crazy stuff. So where is this elitism coming from? Like, you can only play in standard tuning. Like, can you? Okay, the person saying that, can you play in an alternate tuning? Because if not, then what are you telling me for? I, when, I like alternate tunings. When I, when I see someone do it, like, it's not just at learning guitar like when i when i see someone doing something something at a high level like i am also you know doing i'm doing uh like starting to learn how to play golf and when i see okay. someone doing something at a Golf's high level fun. like it's just i don't get disheartened like when i when i see like you know you can get disheartened by i don't know jimi hendrix like sure you could mm. get disheartened by that but also it's jimi yeah. hendrix like that's yeah. that's something impressive to see like gain inspiration from that good. sorry what was that yeah i ideally you would gain inspiration from that but you know it's really easy to get into that like i'll never be that good so mm. why should i even try like eh, i don't know <laughs> I, I think that's where it goes back to just find some way to have fun with whatever you're doing like don't you know, you you could learn. I, I I could right now go and find a guitar instructor that's going to be like, okay, you're going to learn how to play "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star," and you're going to learn how to play that until you can strum perfectly. And I will hmm. drop it in that two lessons. Fun. Yeah, exactly. No, actually, actually, I wanna I wanna take that example and tell you. Uh, tell you a story uh, about kind of that with me. Mm. I've never had guitar lessons ever. I've every everything I've done is self-taught. I did take vocal lessons, voice mm. lessons, like a couple times. Um, I was working at this place, and uh, I was so like blessed to be working there at that time because it was a really difficult time in my life, and it it was a well paying job. But the company that like we were a satellite office, and they didn't have any freaking work for us. So like a lot of days, we were just engineers chilling at this office in downtown Portland and the area was like beautiful. And like some days we just like me and this guy, Dave, we would just go for like a walk for hours. It's just nothing to do. But anyways, so Dave coincidentally was um, a guitarist mm. and th this other guy, I don't remember his name, but he was uh, like a singer. He did all sorts of stuff, but he, he got me hooked up with um, a vocal coach. And I saw her a couple times, and um, I just, like, one of the first things I said in this was that I don't like being told what to do. So I'm like, I'm singing, and she's like, no, that's not how this works. You have to do it like this. And I'm like, okay. And then after two lessons, I'm like, this is not fun. 
I need to be having fun. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't do something unless I'm enjoying it and doing these stupid exercises. You know what I liked? I mm-hmm. loved it when she would play a note and I would match that pitch. And I'm like, can we do that? And she's like, no, you need to work on singing with your stunt, like with your stomach, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, no, I, I, I understand. I want, I need to learn that, but I don't want to, I want to learn how to match what you're doing on the keyboard. Mm. So we had a disconnect and I bailed, but um, yeah, like that's, you gotta be like what you said about twinkle, twinkle, little star. Like that's not fun. That's not going to keep you engaged for some people. Like that's not a bad way of teaching holistically. Mm. Like there's a lot of people, a lot of kids, whatever that learn that way. But me personally, no, that's, that is not my style. I think this is where it's like the, where the internet can like really help out a lot of things. Like you've, you've got all of these different ways that you can approach something now. Like, like programming, for example, like I, you, you can learn programming by going to the university. You can go through your Mm -hmm. courses. You can learn computer science. You know, all of this stuff that, you know, is probably good in the long run, but you can also go and pick up, say, a tutorial on YouTube that's going to teach you the fundamentals of Python, and it's going to give you this fun exercise you can go through, and you can approach it that way as well. And the same thing, like, with sort of anything else. Like, the internet's opened up this this way that a lot of people can learn things in a very different way, because the people who are teaching mm-hmm. them, the reason they're teaching it a lot of the time is because this is the way that they wish they had learned. Like, it, hmm. they they got that traditional learning experience, and they hated it, but there's this better way that the information can be brought to you that you might actually, like, keep it up and, in the long run, enjoy it a lot more. That's an interesting... That that is an interesting observation. So, if somebody wants to learn programming mm. and they they don't want to go to university, uh, would you if so? If that person that wants to learn but mm. doesn't want to go to university, if they tune into a YouTube channel, YouTube character personality, and is learning how to code from their videos, presumably learning, would you say that they are self taught, or would you say that that channel is who taught them? Like, if you graduated from a university with a computer science degree, mm. how did you become a programmer? Well, I went to school for it. Okay. So, if you learned everything from YouTube, are you self-taught or are you a YouTube programmer? I, no, I know exactly what you're saying. Like, I, <laughs> I've, I've heard this, like, we'll go back to the music thing. Like, I've, I've heard a lot of guitarists say they are self-taught guitarists. They learned from things online. Like, you would... Like the way you would you would consider like the way I would look at self-taught is you're just like dicking around on the guitar and you eventually work out like this these are things that sound good like that I would say is someone who is like truly self-taught. I think mm. a lot of people want to use that term self-taught because they didn't go through some more like traditional means that some would accept as you know you've had an education in this thing, like you've had guitar lessons from a professional instructor, you've gone hmm. to a university to learn programming or like done some some sort of like uh, post-education course on programming, like that, that like some would, you know, they wouldn't consider that self-taught, even though in that experience, you're still, you're the one who's still really 
teaching yourself the information. Like, no one can... You can be presented the information. Like, someone can sh say this is how you would play a G chord, but you're ultimately the person who has to teach yourself, like, the finger placement for that, the way that, like, feels the most comfortable with your, like, hand size and your, like, arm lengths and things like that. Hmm. I, I don't know. It's a really tough... It's a really tough question, isn't it? I, I'd never really thought of that. <laughs> I'm glad to have asked a, a thought-provoking question. I think about some of the stuff that inspired me, and I think that that's, that's the key word for my own growth, is when I'm inspired, I don't know... Like, when I'm inspired, sometimes I'll listen to a piece of music, and I'm just like... Oh, this is good stuff. And lately what I've done, um, kind of an exercise, a, a, a self-teaching exercise that I've been doing is I listen to these, uh, these songs that I really, really like. And maybe they're rock songs, maybe they're not. But I listen to them and I get a feel for what key they're in. Mm. And I've been focusing on, on that. Like, what key is this song in? Because if you know that then you can play it, but like your version of it. I've never been a good guitar, I've never been a good musician that can emulate a style. And that was something that, that really held me back for a long time because so much instruction from YouTube or from books is mm -hmm. like, play this song, it's a Led Zeppelin song. And it's like, when I play it, it does not sound like Led Zeppelin. It sounds like not, not Led Zeppelin. I don't know what it sounds like. But then, then you hear, watch somebody like at a guitar store and they're playing a song. You can hear them from the other side. And it's like, I know what that is. Mm. But if I went over there and played it, it would sound like just like total butt. So I think there's something to be said about playing to your strengths mm. and um, emulating styles is just not a strength of mine. Mm. So um, going back to this exercise, I'd find songs that are just, they only use like, major key like just in major there's not all this crazy augmented stuff going on and i figure out the chord progression like for the keys and then once i do that i can just like pick a key and just solo along with the song and just riff mm. and it's just it's finger practice it feels really good to me because like when when you cover a song when you play along with the track you're you're hearing it and you you dig it, you know. You're playing saying playing a song that you like. Like I'm thinking of a couple of songs where I'm like, oh yeah, this is awesome. But you've heard it enough times that you know when you know like something. The chorus is coming up. There's an interlude or something, and you're like you're preparing for it. That's how I am, anyways. Mm -hmm. But it's a really fun exercise that gets my ears in tune with the music, but also like it works my fingers on the fretboard. I've never heard of of anybody. I'm not saying that there isn't anybody, but like I've been around and I've never heard of people saying that is a good, pra that's a good way of practicing. Mm -hmm. Like pick a song, find the key all by yourself. Like don't, don't go look it up because that takes part of the, the exercise out, like figure it out. You know, like I have a little, um, a little thing on my guitar that tells me what key I'm playing in, yeah. which I recommend to everybody to get one of the things on the, that goes on the head. Yep, so yep. you know what you're doing. And uh, I just like play along until I until I hear it until I hear that like harmony, mm. and I'm like, this is the key. All right, let's feel around and find a shape that that works for it, and then that's it. It's really really fun. Mm. 
That does yeah. that does sound really exciting. Yeah, it it is fun. It's a good way to practice just like riffing and jamming. Mm-hmm. I found, yeah. You know, look, maybe at some point I'll I'll mess around with that, but right now I'm just sort of I'm enjoying just learning like the different chord shapes. I, I'm still at this very early stage where like everything is new and everything is exciting. So, I, look, there's I got I got plenty of time. I I can I can barely play some chords right now. So like there's still you know plenty of time to get better at them. My my G sure. still sounds a little bit you know rattly sometimes you know <laughs> no, <laughs> you're you learn something new you're not pushing the, the strings down hard enough it's, it's a little bit off or you're just slightly over over into the uh into the next uh the next fret and it's just like, slightly well, off. you know you know f- for you and for anybody else interested in this mm. sort of stuff i was actually talking to a friend the other day about um some some challenges I had playing mm. music early on that I didn't know were challenges because again, it's one of those things. No, I never heard anybody talk about this stuff. And, and, and at some level it's like really frustrating because these issues were holding me back without mm-hmm. a question. I always thought I had little hands. Like I always thought my hands were just small and too small to play on guitar, mm. but then they're not actually, they're totally stand. There's nothing wrong with my hands. The issue was the guitar. Mm-hmm. A lot of guitars have fat, chunky necks. And they're mm. hard to work around, you know? So, like, my the guitar that I have has a little tiny neck. Like, it's, it's, it's really small. I can, I can wrap my, my whole hand around it without any trouble. And the, the action on the strings mm. is really, really low. Yeah. So, I mean, I just look at the strings and I compress them. So, um, on the flip side, that means that I'm constantly having to adjust my truss rod. And to be fair, you need a pretty oftentimes you need pretty expensive guitar to be able to have low action because like the fretboard's got to be perfect and all this other stuff. But um, yeah, like sometimes you might be playing, playing the guitar and you're like, I just can't make these shapes. I just can't press down on all of these. Well, the problem might be the neck, mm. you know, like it might be too fat. The like of the fretboard could be, could be off. So there, there's a lot that goes into that that I, I don't really hear hear instructors and stuff talk about it. Like, I'm having trouble working. Oh, you just got to work at it. You just got to work at it. If the neck is too big, it will never be comfortable, you know? Mm. Like, it's that, that just, in retrospect, that frustrated me. Because I, I had a guitar for a long time with a really wide nut. I know that sounds funny. But <laughs> the thing at the top is the nut. Hey, and it, it, it determines how thick the neck is. And it was really freaking wide. So it was hard to do anything with. Like in standard tuning, making like a bar chord, forget it. I didn't have the hand strength to do it. And mm. I wouldn't want that, you know? Like just get a guitar that is meant for you. Hmm. Go and grab mine. Is this cable long enough? Let's find out. We're going to find out. Oh, Here we go. Just, just long enough. I like the color of that. What, what is it? Tell us about it. Uh, it is the cheapest thing I could find. That's what it is. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, it's from a That's local Australian time. company uh, called Artist okay. Guitars. Um, yeah, I I didn't really think too much about. Like, I didn't do too much research when I like actually went and um, bought it, so I didn't think too much mm-hmm. about things like that. Um, but I don't have any issue doing anything with it. It might sound a bit funky because I got my um, noise suppression on. So if it does sound, so, you know, I'm going to show you something. It's 
if I if I play an E minor right now, it's gonna sound really bad. Uh. That's okay. That sounded fine. Do I not have a noise expression on? Do I not? Have yeah, that do do it again. It should. Okay. Uh, usually when I no, I have a noise expression on. It should just sound real funky. Like it sounds fine on my side. Yeah, that's the intro chord to a song called "Cover Me" by uh, Candlebox. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's A minor, but or whatever you played, but like a it's minor, a yeah. chord for any song. But you played that, and my mind was like, "Oh, that's Cover Me," which is a really good song, by the way. Candlebox, if you like grunge. I think I recognize the song. It's really good. It's very very emotional. But. <laughs> but like, yeah, my my expectation there was like the the call like I've tried to capture it like with my current setup like just just to see if I had to like mess around with anything and it's always sounded like real like a lot of the the noise was just cut out and I, I know it's because of my noise suppression so it sounded fine there <laughs> I'm real surprised that it did. Hey, that's okay. Um, yeah, it sounds sounds good to me. I'd play, but I'd have to move the old microphone and change my whole ass setup. No, that's I mean, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> Just turn the rest jam. of the show it's... into you playing the guitar. I mean, I could. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe I could play you out with some tunes. Mm, that'd be cool. <laughs> but no, as I said, I've... What I've am just... I doing? I've just been, like, yeah. having fun learning stuff, basically. Good. Good. You should. You mm. should be having a good time. Yeah, it's I. You learn. I think people learn better when they're having fun, right? Mm, like mm. all of all of those good memories from school. I mean, like you're having a good time. You're laughing. Hopefully, anyway. Like that. That's how it is for me. Mm, I mm. think back of school. I think back at school, and I think of all all the fun that I had. Right. So, why can't practice be fun? Yeah, like when I was going through. Like I think most people have this experience when they they're going through school. They sort of. Especially when you get towards the end, you sort of want it to be over because you're like, "Hey, I wanna, I wanna be an adult. I wanna go out into the world." And then you get out into yeah. the world, you're like, "This isn't that great, is it? It's sort of just like the same, but more responsibilities." That's how it is. <laughs> that is how it is. <laughs> well. One thing I did want to, since we're on the the topic of your content earlier, uh, yeah. I I guess some people probably don't even know you do this, but you did mention at the start you have your your ASMR as well. I do you do That's a lot right. of things? You do you do gaming yeah. stuff, you do Linux stuff, you got music stuff, you got ASMR stuff, like. Yeah, I've wanted to do uh, motorcycle and travel stuff too. Mm. That's something that's that's been on my backlog for a long time, and I'll get to it someday. That's actually of all of the things. This is funny. People might know me. A lot of people know me from Linux. A lot of people now know me from ASMR, mm. and a couple. I guess like a few people know me from my music stuff. But what I started out doing was cars and motorcycles, working mm. on cars and going on motorcycle trips with a camera. That's what I started on YouTube doing. Okay. <laughs> Good stuff. I'd Hello. love to. I'd love to get back into it. But it's, Oh no! Uh, <laughs> I just wanted the ASMR channel when it had the uh, you know, autoplay video just start. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> I have that muted now, so it doesn't happen again. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to get back into that. It's really, really fun. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I'm I, at this point, I'm just kind of going with the flow. Like 
another summer has gone by and I didn't make a motorcycle video and that, that hurts like that actually, like I look at my bike and I'm like, Oh, you're so pretty. There's so much I could do with you, but you know, there's always next year, mm-hmm. but you got the EG channel. It's like sitting there doing its thing, making guitar videos on Nuevo EG mm-hmm. and open EG. Um, that's a thing. It yeah. A I thing. don't know. What made you want to, of all the things, what made you want to do ASMR videos? Um, you know, people had made comments about my microphones and like the audio, like mm-hmm. my voice and stuff. And uh, I've always been really into listening to ASMR, just either working. It's usually while working, like a lot of people use it for bed. I I use it for working really like if I'm focusing on something and it helps block out what's going on mm. and it helps if the person has like if I'm listening to a person sometimes it's just noise but if I'm listening to a person they have a, a nice voice that is is easy for my brain to like flip to another channel and leave it there and then I'm focusing on my work you know Yeah 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 but um I was like I wonder how this Shure SM57, which is not this microphone, it's another one that I had, but I wonder how my SM57 would do ASMR. Um, And spoiler, it wasn't good, honestly. I don't think the 57 did very good. I think that this microphone works super well with my voice, but the Mm -hmm. 57 did not. But uh, it was was difficult, and it was really uncomfortable. Mm. But the feedback that I got made me kind of like more interested in it. Like where Mm. could I go with this, Mm, you know? mm, mm. So I just like kind of went with it and I kept getting positive feedback and that positive feedback was so opposite from what I got from the EG channel. Like on the EG channel, I had people saying like, you know, screw you and your opinions and you did this wrong and that video sucked and you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And I just like got used to that. I was like, this is just YouTube. People suck. And sometimes I wonder why I'm even here. And then I went over to Open EG without the intention of building a community. Like Mm -hmm. I was just messing with sound, you know, but all these people came out and they were like, this is rad. Like we want to listen to you. And I'm like, what is this? Like, why do you want to listen to me? You know, for the past in number of years, I've had people tell me that I suck. So this is different. So I, I just like ran with it. Mm. And now it's kind of spiraled into this thing where now I sit and make 40 minute videos where I'm just talking about nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, all right. Like, it's fun. It's, it's so weird when I'm doing it. Like, it's the whole situation is so surreal and I can see what's happening from the, like through the camera on the TV over here. So I'm like, this is bizarre. What a, what a frame for discord to pause on. What? Oh, is it? (laughs) It, it's been freaking out today. (laughs) I can't. Well, so I opened B top so that Mm. I can monitor my network and my network isn't dropping or anything. So it might be my side that I don't know. What if we switch regions? Uh, I, th- I wonder I, what region it chose. That's a good question. I, how do you even check that? <laughs> uh, what if we do... Um, Watch this break the call. Like either Sydney or US West. Tri- what are we on now? Automatic, so I don't know. Oh, Brazil? Try see what happens. All right, let's go to Sydney and see what it does. <laughs> 
Oh, I thought the coach just died. <laughs> did it die? Yeah, it yeah. Did for a moment. Let's see if this is better. May you might be better on my side. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. Um, well, the the footage needs to be good for you. So wherever it's best on your side, seeing me, like if you freeze frame, like I don't care. Yeah, fine. that's fair. Hmm. <laughs> Technical difficulties. It always happens. It, it's better than the call just straight up dropping. So, hey, there's that at least. Yeah, yeah I'm always really paranoid about my, my network. So I'm like, I'm going to watch it. And it's mm. it's good. So it must be Discord side. You, you mentioned um, some of the feedback you've had over on the Linux side. Yeah. Um, I did a bit of snooping around your comment section. I noticed something very interesting. Go on. I noticed some very familiar names. Some of those people oh. who left a lot of the, the hate comments over like frequent videos. I recognized the names from my channel. Uh. Some of them I didn't recognize, but every time I saw one of them, I copied their name into my like YouTube studio. And there was oh, yeah. always at least a couple of hate comments from them on my channel. Huh. Not uh, some people, you know, have you know legitimate criticisms, but there are some people out there who I think just like being angry. It doesn't matter yeah. what it's about. It can be Instigators. about. It can be about your opinion on Linux. It can be about I don't know anime. It can be about literally anything. Some people out there just want to find some reason to not like you. It can be anything. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I've I had a really bad relationship with my community for a mm. long time. And um I've got as Open EG has really helped me disconnect myself personally from people making comments and attacking my content. Yeah. And another another thing is that you know like um when I read comments, I read them as an American speaking as an american a lot of people are, they don't speak english as their primary language and mm. uh, you know a lot of a lot of other countries are very blunt when they speak like mm. that's just how they're not being mean it's they're just saying it how it is and when i read that through the lens of an american it comes across as like that guy's a jackass but mm. in reality they're just saying it how it is they're not trying to be mean so i remember i did a a, a debian video where i was like here's how you install it or something and somebody was like, you don't actually have to, like there was something that I glossed over that I made it sound like you had to do, but you didn't have to do. And they were like, you don't actually have to do that. But like, I don't think that they were being rude. I think that they were just saying it and I mm -hmm. took it badly. So I, I try to be um, more open-minded in that regard. I mean, to be honest, a lot of times I don't really, I read comments, but I try not to react or respond to them because I want them to just like kind of bounce off mm -hmm. and then I can walk away from the computer and let the criticism or perceived criticism just kind of go. So I, I've, I've built a more healthy relationship with the community in that regard. That's something I've definitely had to work on myself. Like I, there, okay. For, for context, there was a period of time where I got like, this was like five or six years ago. Um, we got like really into like political discussions on Twitter, and hmm. I would sit there for like hours upon hours. Yeah, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> Waste your life. Well, I would sit there for like hours and hours of the day just arguing about nonsense. And as 
like there are occasions where that sort of comes back out with the channel where I will get into this long thread with someone and it's something that I've definitely been trying to work on. Nowadays, what I mainly aim to do is if someone if someone is trying to have like an actual discussion, like I did a video about Rust in the Linux kernel and hmm. The comments that I try to respond to now are where I can have some sort of useful dis uh, discussion. Like some, uh, one of the examples is someone said this isn't a great example of a because like, the video I did was this is a blog that's anti-Rust, this is a blog that's pro-Rust, and I present them both mm -hmm. in the video. And someone said, "Hey, this isn't a great example of an anti-Rust blog." So I was like, "Okay, what would be a better example?" That person was, you know, offering... I I feel like they were trying to offer that feedback in a a productive way, not saying, you know, this is a terrible choice. Why did you use this? It was it was framed in a way that I think was was helpful. Um and there are other like other comments like um I don't think Rust is gonna be good for the kernel and don't really expand upon it. And I kind of prompt them hmm. for that expansion but when it's when it's those comments that are just trying to bring you down for the sake of bringing you down mm -hmm. i think there is a i think there is a you can how would i phrase this if you don't connect yourself too much to the reply and you sort of just throw it out there just mm -hmm. for the sake of it I think you can have some fun with it, but the the issue you get there is once you respond to a comment that's, that's like that, they know they've got your attention, and mm -hmm. that's when you can let yourself get dragged in, even if you're not trying to do so. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. My EG videos don't. There's not a lot of throughput anymore, so the people that watch them presumably are people that are subscribed and engaged in, in what I'm doing. So, um, well, except I, this that is one like dedicated person who leaves a hate comment on seemingly every video that I've noticed, you know, like, you know, people can do that. I guess it's all good. It's all good anymore. But, uh, the throughput has dropped, which like it might the YouTube dashboard makes it sound like it's bad. It's like, oh man, you know, your views are down. You've got all this stuff. 10 out of like, 10, 10 out of 10. Yeah, it's 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. Every time I look at my dashboard, it's like that video didn't do good. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. Why? Like I talked about this in an open EG video actually, mm. but like, I don't want to go to my channel and see negativity, mm. you know, like that sounds, you know, like, it might sound silly, but like the bottom line is that I'm not here to build a business. I'm not mm. here to make money. I'm here because YouTube is a convenient video host. And it's also a convenient way of sharing what I'm doing with people that are interested. Now, there's like a built-in search feature. Mm -hmm. You know, people can discovery, find your videos. And anybody can find your videos. And anybody can leave comments. And that's fine. But why do you have to show me that negativity every time I log into my damn channel? It's very frustrating. If I just want to see comments for a video, I have to go to the creator's dashboard first, unless I've bookmarked it. And yep. the creator's dashboard is going to say, hey, that last video you did, it sucked. Well, maybe it was a shit post and I wasn't expecting anything out of it. Why are you making a big deal? It's inferring. 
it's inferring so much from the from the existence of the video. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you must have wanted this to be popular. Maybe I didn't. Like, it's none of your business, really. You know, like it's. I I saw somebody say on Twitter. Um, unsolicited advice is always criticism or something, something along those lines. Mm. And it's like, I'm not asking for this analytic, like these analytics, and you're providing them to me in a way that is negative. So I don't know who thought that that was a good idea or like who in the Google meeting room said, let's force analytics on everybody. Mm. Like, why do that? You know, I don't want it. I just want to upload videos and occasionally see what people say about it. That's it. That's what I want to get out of YouTube. And the analytics stuff is very frustrating to me, if you can't tell. No, I I totally get it. Like, that data is incredibly valuable for, like, if you're trying to build a business, you're trying to, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're trying to get your content out there. But one of the things I would like from YouTube Studio is if there was, you know, some level of customization. Like, if you want to see this information or you don't want to see it, like, you could... You know, maybe you just want to show your comments on that main page. Like, I think the dashboard, sure. what, like, they keep adding in these features here and there. Like, the, I don't know if you even know this. If you go to your, I think it's under your, like, your analytics section. And then, like, there's, like, a research section or something. You can, like, search by um, tags that people that watch your channel commonly search for. Like, you know, maybe have some way to display that on the home page that's what you want to see or you want to just see the comments sure. on the home page you, you don't want to see the 10 out of 10 thing like let me just hide that if i don't want to see it yeah but it's just it's always going to be in your face and you know when the number's good like that's great but there are some some days where like i'll see that like this video this like i have this bad habit of checking my analytics like first thing in the morning and this is a problem because if you do that you you gotta stop that yeah no i'm very aware it's a problem (laughs) um but yeah you you see a video and you're like this should do well and it's like 10 out of 10 like (sighs) yeah i mean like unless you're actively create it does though like it even if you're like i don't care about that video it's like hey by the way that did bad and it's mm-hmm. like you didn't have to say that <laughs> absolutely no like you you want people to see what you're doing like that's if if you didn't want people to see it you just unlist it but there's a difference between that and having the numbers just always in your face no matter what you do I actually think that there's there's a balance that could be struck mm-hmm. in that what if I want to release a video for people who are interested in EG and no one else, right? Because mm. you can do it unlisted, but that won't tell your subscribers or anybody. You'd have to like you'd have to syndicate it yourself. Oh, so you want to like uh, just it. send you want like only visible to subs. Yeah, or only notify or only make discoverable by subs or people like you know there's lots i watch channels that i'm not sub to like sometimes it's just eh, it shows up in my feed and i find myself going back to that person if there was some way to synthesize that and say i'm only interested in producing like this video 
is is targeted for my community. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very it's very niche. It's very specific to people that are interested in EG. You know, maybe it's art or something. But if it's broadcasted, like it, it, that's actually a really interesting thing. If I wanted to do something, make a video that is art related or something about EG, mm-hmm. and make it public everybody that subscribes to EG would see it. And mm-hmm. somebody that's interested in Linux is like, I don't care about this art garbage. I'm not, you know, thumbs down. I'll leave a nasty comment, get this shit out of here. But I don't want that though. I That was intended for my followers, right? Mm-hmm. There's no way of doing that. And I think that's really frustrating. Like, I guess there's YouTube like memberships or whatever. Yeah, that's the only way you can I don't, do it, yeah. I don't want the financial piece, like at least not at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's weird that this is, a niche thing that is easily facilitated by the existing tooling, but they just haven't done. I think the issue comes with the, like what YouTube is. It's a public video sharing platform. They want the content to get, they want the content to go out there and get viral. And that's, you know, the way they make money off the content. Like Mm -hmm. I, I get it from a business perspective, but from a creative perspective, I think that would be, like an incredibly useful tool. Like there are a lot of platforms that that have tools like this, like art platforms, music platforms, things like this, where like even actually even Patreon. So you can uh bit like follow a, a Patreon page, and mm-hmm. then you will see what is you know part of that that page. Yeah, it's it's a cool model. Mm mm mm. Yeah. I, I would, uh, I would love that if YouTube. I wouldn't use it myself because I do like my stuff sort of going out there. But I totally get wanting to keep things in, in a in a niche community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that would be if there was like a target audience member for that. Mm. That that would be me. That would be the EG channel. Like I'm not really interested in the videos. Like I've got some videos that are really popular and continue to be popular because of their nature, like a Windows versus Ubuntu video mm-hmm. from years ago is like, it's still showing up and like, and that's fine. You know, it's, it's one of the older videos where I look back and I'm like, man, I could do that a lot better today, but it's a lot of work. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't want to do Linux content like that. I don't want to do it right now. I'm just not yep. feeling it. I am doing so much stuff, really cool, crazy stuff at my job. And I just don't have any leftover passion to make EG stuff right now. I will someday. Like, it's it's not over, you know? Like, I've been mm-hmm. doing gaming videos, stuff like that. I'm just not passionate about making videos about it. I'm passionate about it, but I'm using that passion at my job. Yeah. So, like, stuff that I would be making videos about, I'm just, like, I'm doing. And I spend all my day doing for the company that I work for. And there's just, there's no passion left over to make videos. And it's... Like I said, EG's not gone. It's just that's just the way things are right now. No, I, I totally get that. Like, I I'm not like I don't have a a job where I'm I'm heavily making use of Linux. So this is sort of is my my outlet mm. for what I'm talking about. But yeah, I like and I I get people wanting to come. Like, I don't know. It's, well, you know, it's, 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 yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I actually, I, I want to say something. I want to speak to that, mm-hmm. actually, because you said that you work at a job, you don't use Linux. So you come here and you talk about Linux. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes total sense. I'm the opposite. Mm-hmm. When I was doing lots of Linux videos, when I was making DistroDelves episodes, 
I wasn't using Linux at work. Yeah, yeah. I was using Windows or I was unemployed. Mm. So when I so an interesting thing for folks listening, when I was doing Distro Delves episodes and I had like three seasons, I was unemployed. I did not have a full time job. So when people are like, "We want Distro Delves back," I want it too. But there's just not enough time in the day for me to do regular episodes and hold down. I mean, I work like twelve hour days every day. Uh, there's just no there's no way for me to do that. And at this point, I would love to. You know, maybe in the future, I, something will work out and I can, um, you know, take time during the week and make episodes and stuff. But right now, it's just, just no time. I can't do it. But I work at a place where we use Linux. I manage Linux. I work with open source developers working in the community. I, I'm getting my fill, man. Like, I don't need an outlet. <laughs> well, I think I, it, I've made it. Mm, I, I think it really <laughs> depends on, like, what you want to be doing. Like, I... I know someone who he is a I think he's developer at his job and does like DevOps stuff on his channel. Like it's very connected, but mm-hmm. that's sort of what he enjoys from it. And yeah. hey, more power to you if that's what you want to be doing. But sure. I also totally get where you're coming from as well, where you know you want to do other things, and that's where that ASMR stuff comes in. That's where the motorcycle stuff that you're not doing it comes in that you totally really, different. really want to be doing at some point. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, like the other thing you want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice to it's, I you know I I get that not everybody has such diverse hobbies mm. and the drive and tenacity to like make content for them, but I I mean I do. And that's what I do. And that's what brings me joy. I think that's a very good point. A lot of people don't really have diverse hobbies. This is a whole, like, a whole other discussion. But, like, there's a lot of people out there who have, like, one hobby they dedicate themselves to. And that's great. But... Yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. I, I think it's it's fun to try out new things. Like, whatever it is. Maybe you don't stick with it. Maybe it's not something you do long term. But... It's fun to be like to become a beginner at something like, you know, that that initial I was saying this earlier, like the initial stage of doing anything. It's exciting. You're learning all this new stuff. It's it's like you you see how far things can go, but you really don't know where you are in that, like in that whole spectrum. Like, say, for example, you're like just getting um, we'll go back to the guitar. Like, starting with the guitar, I, I, I can see like there's these crazy guitarists out there can do these incredible things, and I can mm-hmm. see what I can do on a guitar, but I can't really see what the distance between that actually is. It's not until that like intermediate stage where you have a understand like enough of an understanding of where you're at and how things actually function, where you can see how big that gap really is like the more mm-hmm. the more you know something uh, there's a there's a term for this but the more you know something the more you realize like how much there is to really learn about it and hmm. i find that really exciting yeah yeah there's definitely some some level of of excitement it goes into learning a thing and everything that goes along with it it's also scary you mm, know mm. like I don't know when I, I I don't know part of what makes the open EG journey fun is I'm using it as a way to teach myself 
audio production mm. because you, as as fun as it is, you can't. I mean, to be fair, I guess you can just put a microphone down and start talking to it, and like can, that's a yes. thing. Yeah, but if I'm feeling it, like if I'm feeling spunky, I will put my audio into a editor and I'll try to do crazy layered stuff. I'll mess around with the the different like the peaks and valleys in in the audio, make things sound louder or quieter. And and it's fun. Like how else would I do that, you know? Like that's that's kind of everything that I've I do and have done is self-taught. Like mm-hmm. that's Guitar sets, music Wasn't stuff in general. Like, uh, we go back to this discussion. <laughs> well, I mean, like, uh, yeah, that's actually a good point. I, d- I didn't really watch YouTube videos. I listened to music and I just kind of put it together. There's a few that I watched, but yeah. that's that's where I was channeling. Like, am I a YouTube uh, taught person or am I self taught? But um, like going to coding and stuff, it's all it's all kind of self taught, and you only know what you know. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's what I was saying. Audio yeah. production. Audio right. Production. That's where I was going with that. Well, so when else would I, how do you teach yourself that? Like mm-hmm. how, what process do you go through to teach yourself audio production? I guess I could record music and stuff and try mm-hmm. to do crazy things with it. Or I could use open EG and try to make the audio sound awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's a, there's a target audience. People want something, um, Soft, smooth, harsh. I mean, like there's all sorts of different sounds that you can get out of the medium, the format mm. that is ASMR. So th- it's just like a huge sandbox. And I think I call myself in, in the about section, I think I say that it's like a sonic soundbox or a sandbox or there's some silly poetic thing. But uh, that, that's what it is, you know? Like I make a 40-minute long video Hello. that I have to turn around and listen to and and then edit and it's just it's all just part of the learning experience. Mm. <laughs> no, that that totally makes sense. Like I wouldn't even I I know f- like from listening to lots of recordings of my own voice that I do not have the uh I could probably make something work, but I I don't feel like I I have a way of speaking that at all works with ASMR. Like, well, t- t- teach yourself. You got to try it and figure out what works. Like, I, I here's it. I didn't just start doing it and. and well, be you perfect, also have you know? this like. You seem to have this natural, like, calm way of speaking. I <laughs> tend to have like a lot of you know high and low inflection, and a lot of people tell me that I tend to shout a lot when I'm uh, when I'm speaking. And, you know, I can speak in a more calm fashion, but it's just, that's not the way that I, I'm i sort of typically speaking. You're sort of more predisposed to that, that calm way, it seems. Yeah, but I taught myself how to do that, right? Like That's fair. W- when I was starting to do live streams on the EG channel, I had, I still had my SM57. Like, I, it's currently in use. That's why mm. it's not here now. But I had both of them, and I have two mic stands. So when I would do streams, I would be talking to both mics on separate channels. Mm-hmm. And that was fun. Like, that was actually really enjoyable. But through my mixer, I had to set up my audio levels, and I had to make sure I wasn't speaking too loud because it would, it would strain my voice. Um. So there was, there was a lot of like practice and conditioning that went into learning how to speak. I mean, if you just look at, listen to my older EG videos and compare my, my voice and delivery from then to there, 
Like there's conscience, conscious effort to make my, like really make my voice behave the way that I want it to. Mm. And I mean, like what you're saying, having, you know, highs and lows, it's not necessarily a bad thing. No, I I get what you're saying there. It's just the, the way that I've, I've adjusted my voice. I've definitely adjusted my voice over time. Like, intentionally but the way that i've done it is to bring it more in line with the way that i naturally speak like the way i'm typically speaking on the podcast is more in line with the way i'm normally speaking whereas if Mm. you go back to like my like edited scripted whatever you want to call it videos of the main channel it was this very flat monotone thing which i i just didn't find to be the way i wanted to present stuff but I'm sure I could make something work with ASMR. Maybe if I sat down and actually, like, properly properly tried it out. Like, I could make something work. It's just, that's not something that, like, I've never really been that interested in ASMR anyway. So it's just not something that I've really considered trying out to, like, get to a point where I could actually, you know, reasonably do it without blowing out people's eardrums. (laughs) That's always a fear. My God, the audio levels and yeah, but it's fun. I'm sure it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> I it's... like challenging myself. Well, yeah, that, there's there's definitely that. It's 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 a very different style. Like it's it's very different. The distro delves like it's complete. Like it's not like hey, we're doing a Linux video and we're doing a software showcase. Like they're still sort of in the the same vein the the asmr stuff is like entirely different it's a it's a whole different way of creating a whole different a whole different style of content and creative endeavor that i'm sure is exciting in its own way sure yeah it's it is completely different and that is definitely one of the things that makes it exciting. But I mean, I can I could say the same thing about producing music and guitar mm. stuff. Like uh, my most recent guitar video, I'm listening to it and I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And then I send it to a friend and they're like, are my headphones cutting out? It sounds like it's behind a pillow or something. And I'm like... So I listen to it and I'm like, I do kind of get that. And then I listen to, you know, a song that I like and it's really bright and wide mm. and huge. And then I go back to my track and I'm like, wow, this is, um, it's, it's not not good, but it is definitely different. Mm. And um, music production is so fun. Depending on where you, there's a lot of crossover with ASMR actually, because I mean, my voice is the instrument, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's not music, but it is the instrument. And, you know, based on where I am talking to the microphone changes the characteristics of all of it. And it's like that with music too. When I mic up my amps, I, sometimes it's at an angle, sometimes it's straight on. This is not a guitar mic. This is a vocal mic. So it's it sounds weird to mic up an amplifier. And, and for folks that aren't familiar with... Um, like a lot of people plug their amps straight into their mixers or into their computers. And you can do that too. But uh, I just prefer using a microphone and putting it physically, um, you know, apart from the speaker Mm -hmm. and then recording it that way. That's just like old style of doing it. And that's, that's how I like to record. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So when I'm recording music, this is pointing at the microphone. And I mean, actually when, when we, if you still want to do the guitar thing, I can I can play around with that. It's it's really fun. 
No, I that that, that makes sense. Like I <laughs> I did like briefly look at your uh, I didn't watch the entire thing, but the video about how you capture um guitar stuff on on Linux. Oh yeah. I guess yeah, yeah I guess that, was, that makes sense is like different ways you do it. Like it makes sense that the a more like traditional way would be to just stick a mic in front of it cuz you know hmm? it would have been there wouldn't have been any sensible way to do it otherwise, but now with uh <laughs> You know, now with the fancy tech we have now, like, can I grab it without disturbing anything? It's gonna crash oh. everything. Oh, it's gonna knock it over. Wait, I'm just gonna point at this. We have, we have this. Oh yeah, look at that thing. Oh wait, is that a Yamaha? It is. Oh, look at you with your sure microphone and Yamaha mixer. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I know, right? It's what, Mr. Uh, Hi-Fi over here. It's what uh, having, you know wasting money on things that are probably a little bit overkill will get you I, i'm uh, pretty i'm pretty sure i know what that mixer is it's a good one yes yeah, the mg10 xu oh uh, my mixer i don't want to touch it because linux doesn't like it very much mm -hmm. and remember i told you about the chipmunk thing uh, mm -hmm. when before we got rolling i was saying my voice might sound like a chipmunk because pulse freaked out yeah but uh it doesn't like the sample rate that this mixer wants to run at so if it gets bothered it will screw up and i'll sound like a chipmunk or i'll sound like really baritone so i, I don't want to even like look at it but it's a uh, behringer euphoria umc 202 mm. hd and I've tried other mixers, and this one adds a certain warmth to my voice that works really well with my microphones. Yeah. And that's why. Yeah, I, I'm just like Mr. YouTuber over here. I've got everything. I've got my Shure SM7B, and we're yeah. good to go. That's a good mic, though. It's, a, Look, it's, it's a good. good. Mic. It's yeah, definitely yeah. a good mic. Um, it's very, you know, in the range of microphones, there's things that are a lot more expensive, but like this is, you know, you you could get a ten thousand dollar microphone for the YouTube, but Good. like you, you don't like YouTube's compression is going to mess with stuff enough. You don't really yeah. need a ten thousand dollar mic. Yeah, yeah, like you don't need you know like Linus Tech Tips. They'll buy like a bunch of red cameras. Like, hey, here's we have like. $100,000 in cameras on this one set. Like, do you need that for a YouTube shoot? Well, I mean, I think that there's something to be said about getting getting the tool that works for the job. You know, mm -hmm. my first my first studio microphone was a Shure SM57. Mm. And that's a that's a very well-known microphone for um uh, uh, like recording drums and instruments and stuff. But it was like a hundred bucks, which isn't too bad for an XLR studio, like a well-known, well-known brand. I mean, the SM57 is is like battle tested. Like you can't get that's that's the mic. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's what I started with. And like you like you said, you could go in the ten thousand dollar range for a microphone, which is like whoa, really? But yeah, really. I mean, if you're doing really high fidelity stuff, you need the good good products. But you don't for YouTube and just amateur stuff. Hundred hundred dollar mic, that's that's it. That's fine. Yeah, a lot of people I think get that get bit a bit too concerned over what they have, where it's like, hey, mm -hmm. I I need to get this, I need to get this before I can like even get started. I think yeah. when I started my channel, I started on a laptop with a laptop webcam and a laptop microphone. <laughs> I, I would I would suggest not doing that because you can get like five dollar apps that will turn your phone into a, like a a webcam. Just use that. Your phone camera Ooh. is going to look so much better than any webcam you'll ever buy. Not until you <laughs> get some like standalone, 
like mirrorless DSLR camera, that will look better. But mm-hmm. up until that point, just use your phone. It'll be fine. I'm using just a Logitech webcam, yeah, 720p. I... I don't even know where it came from, but like, I to be honest, I don't care. Like, I, I never, the only time I use this is at work meetings and stuff. So, the, like. The, uh, the camera that you're seeing, like, on Discord, that's the, I've got a C920. It looks really blown out because I've got my studio lights on for my, like, actual camera. Uh, yeah. So, it does, you know, <laughs> I could make this camera look somewhat decent, but then my my actual camera would look bad, and that would be a problem for the actual recording. That would be a problem. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's all good. I don't, I I, I don't like to feature myself in mm. videos. I really like to hide behind the character, eg, when I do my stuff, and yeah. that's that'll probably never change. the The guitar stuff that I'm doing is so. I talk about this on on Open EG that like so many things that I do, I do to push my comfort levels mm-hmm. and see like what it feels like on the other side. Mm. And uh, appearing in videos is just like I, I actually did vlogs for a very brief period of time, and I hated them so much I I got rid of all of them. So I'm I'm not that interested in, in being on camera or anything. Well, I'm sure also playing the guitar in gloves might be a bit difficult as well. Yeah, I, you know what's funny is because the way that I tune my guitar, I can totally do it. But it's, it's obnoxious. And I, I'm going to be honest. I've thought about associating EG with guitaring, mm. and I just I think it looks dorky. <laughs> Like it's just it's not a look I could get I could get into, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and a lot of a lot of playing guitar and performing to me is the movement of the performance. Like when I when I go to a concert or when I see on you know YouTube people playing music, I love the motion. I love mm-hmm. I mean it's like basically dancing, and, and I love seeing that like people really getting into the to the music and stuff. And I I feel like I can do that without needing eg. That's totally fair. I don't know. I, I'm still like trying. I'm still figuring that out, I guess. Yeah, that's that's one area that is still like very gray to me. Mm. Well, we're cl- getting sort of close to when I probably should be ending the show off. Um, mm. If you still want to do that, that bit of guitar stuff, we can. If you need a bit of time to set it up, I can just cut the recording, then we can start that no. up again. Or? No, if you like, if you want to like talk about something or just like watch me set this up it's gonna Uh, sound weird we did try uh i've got the recording started back up again um all right that was a mess (laughs) yeah that's that's a bit unfortunate the noise suppression i thought i turned my noise suppression off actually discord adds extra noise suppression on top of it from my understanding Uh, i don't know if there's like a way you can mess with that or not i'm i'm not too sure you probably can but Let's be honest. Echo cancellation, maybe. Yeah, yes. automatic gain control. There, there's a lot of like variables that could be going on. Mm. And I'm taking a studio mic that is meant for vocals and micing it up to a guitar, which is already a little weird. So, I mean, we're asking a lot to begin with. We tried. We tried to play music. It's all but it good. Sounded fine when I. Had I look, maybe it would have died if I tried some other chords. Maybe the E minor was just the only thing that was gonna work. Yeah, uh, could be a lot of things, but it's know. all good. Well, 
you know, since our fun was ruined, uh, I guess we'll just <laughs> end it here then. Um, let the people know where they can find you, your all your channels, all that fun stuff. Oh, um, hmm. So on my website, eg.xyz, there's links to all of the stuff that I do. Um, the main place I'm active with people that want to interact with me is Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got the EG YouTube channel. I've got Open EG. I've got EG Nuevo or Nuevo EG, one of the two. Um, I'm also on Mastodon, but Mastodon's more of like an OOC thing. I'm not super active there. And when I am, I'm usually just like complaining about something. And uh, yeah, there's there's probably more. I'm on Twitch. I'm on SoundCloud. Um, EG XYZ has all of that, though. I'll have uh, whatever you want me linked uh, down in the description. If you just want the website, you want the individual things, I can do whatever you want. Cool. Yeah. That would be rad. Uh, As for me, I've got my main channel. That is Brody Robertson. I do mostly daily videos, six days a week, something like that. I've got my gaming channel, Brody Robertson Plays, which is going to get rebranded at some point into something that is a (laughs) slightly better name. Um, right now I'm playing through The World Ends With You and Cult of the Lamb. So <laughs> go and have fun with those ones. If you are listening to the audio version of this, the video version is available on YouTube. If you're watching the video, the audio version is available as an RSS feed. Uh, just look up Tech of a T. It's available on most of the plod, uh, plod pl- podcast platforms out there. It's two in the morning right now. Um... And you'll find it wherever you want to find it. EG, do you have any words you want to end the show with? Um, hello, world. Hello, YouTube. It's usually how you start a show, but sure, we can end it like that. <laughs> See you guys later. Bye-bye.